You are now listening to Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Fregera. It's a podcast designed to bring awareness on intended or unintended crimes against humanity, how we can rise above it, claim our divine inheritance, and return the soul power to the people. What's today's topic? <laughs> uh, shedding light on the dangers of normalizing pedophilia. I really believe that there's evil going on in the world right now that destabilizes, that disempowers, distorts, and really destroys the human spirit. And they start with the children. And so without further ado, I would like to bring to you Eric, who is a friend of mine on Facebook for a long time. We know each other from Robin's Madonna's Strategic Intervention Training. Eric, please um, introduce yourself, and why is it that you agreed to be on this uh, podcast? Okay, so um, Tess, I've known, as you mentioned, for quite a few years, um, even though we've never met in person, we've interacted and shared in many conversations. I, I was talking to Tess the other day, and I shared about what I went through, and she says, wow, would you be willing to share that? And I said, absolutely. I have no qualms. Having this be out in the light, having this be public, I have nothing to hide, um, but it's a topic that I think, as she was mentioning, is very important. Our children need to be protected. Across the world, things are happening, and the reason I wanted to do this was I wanted to shine light on it um, so that we can be aware of it and do something about it. Something that happened recently, someone shared a tweet on, on Twitter. They, they retweeted someone else's. And, and when I saw it, I couldn't believe what I saw. So I went to that person's uh, Twitter feed and sure enough, they posted and I grabbed the screenshot of it because I thought, okay, this is the sort of a thing that someone might delete later on and say, oh, I never said it. And it's not that I wanna hold this person's feet to the fire. I want to present what they said. This person is a person with millions of followers. They have a nationally syndicated TV show. And they said, and I'm not gonna mention their name, they said, I don't care about Jeffrey Epstein. I don't care if Democrats are pedophiles. I'm proud to be a Democrat. And this isn't about Republican or Democrat. It's the statement of, I don't care about pedophilia. That is a very dangerous thing to say because you don't want that seed to be planted into your psyche and where that can grow. And when you have millions of followers that read it, you don't want to implant that seed into their psyche because if that becomes part of your value system and the way we get wired and if that becomes part of your identity, if I don't care about pedophilia, I'm not against pedophilia, that's dangerous ground to tread. And, and for the sake of our children who are innocent, scary things along those lines are pre prevalent in our culture right now. Something that's interesting, and Tess, I know you know about, um, even before we're born, we have our DNA, we have this broad swath of genetic uh, expression that can happen, but it is honed and, and determined even before we're born. You know, the, the emotions that a mother experiences change her biochemically and that, that impacts the child in the womb. The relationship between the father and the mother, whether it's peaceful and loving or conflicting, it's as if through divine wisdom, in the before we're even born, we are being prepared for the environment we're going to be born into so that we can survive in it. And then over those first few years of life, we create our framework of the world, and then our ego spends the rest of our lives defending that framework. 
And our ego is kind of like that, that century, that watchdog looking for anything that might threaten who we believe ourselves to be, um, our values, our beliefs, our identity, and anything that might be a threat to that, our ego will, will attack it. So as you hear some of this information, if part of you goes like, oh man, I can't believe that's actually happening. I want to encourage you to keep an open mind um, because growth only happens when we have an open mind, be able to look at something and say, okay, what if I'm right or what if I'm wrong or what if that's right or what if that's wrong? That's the only way we grow and move forward. So I want to encourage you that if you notice your ego going, no way, that's okay. That's its job. But our job is to not just be led by our ego. So, so effectively, I was raised by a single mother. When we were living out of state, we lived in two different states besides California. Other than that, I lived in California my whole life. There was a man who took an interest in our family um, and in me personally. He eventually uh, molested me. And it was not just a out of the blue. There was a process. There was a grooming. There was a, you know, you boil a frog one degree at a time. You just don't throw a frog in the boiling water. Um, and so I'm not going to get into the graphic details, but I want to explain that grooming process so that we as parents can be hyper vigilant to make sure that if we notice something like that, to do something about it. Now, this was early 80s. This was before the McMartin preschool scandal. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that was the first time that something came to light that there was a preschool wherein adults were coming into the preschool and having sex with preschool children. It was a big scandal. It was in the news. That was the first time that came into our national consciousness of something that actually happens. This was before then. So this sort of thing wasn't even on anybody's radar. Um, I had to do work later on in my life. Um, and part of the things I had to work through was like, how could my mom let this happen? But, you know, no one thought stuff like that happened back then. So, um, so this has been happening a long time, um, but we need to keep it in our awareness so that we can do something about it. This guy's house was, um, he was a single guy, the son that they had adopted before they divorced. Um, he was living by himself. He was retired law enforcement, seemed like a trustworthy guy. Um, it, this was the winter time and it was in the mountains. Um, he had like a trampoline, but you know, couldn't use it in the snow. He had a snowmobile. This was back before VCR and Betamax. He had a Betamax and like a bunch of movies like Star Wars and stuff that a kid would love to watch. And then this was a ski town as well. So he even had one of those push button, push a button out comes some hot chocolate. So it was kind of a cool place to hang out. This was kind of like neat stuff. He and another friend would go over there sometimes. And he even gave us, his house wasn't locked, but he gave us the security code. So we could actually go there anytime, even if he wasn't there and have some hot chocolate, watch a movie, stuff like that. Sometimes we would do that after school. We would go for, we get off the early, one bus stop early, go to his house, drink some hot chocolate, walk movie, and then head home. And sometimes he'd come home, sometimes he wouldn't. Something else that happened during that time is, um, and it was very rare for someone at my age, um, and I was 11, 12, and, and, and I need to be very clear. I was prepubescent. I was not anywhere near puberty. I was a late bloomer. I was not a developing young man. I was a little boy, but I was, um, what's called testicular contortion. I would wake up sometimes and one of my testicles was in extreme pain um, because they would twist and the blood supply would cut off. It was uh, something that I had to have a surgery to correct it. Um, so I didn't have to get one removed, but I was going through that at the time. 
what these guys do is they'll ask questions and they poke and prod. They target individuals and they also target families. If there's a strong father figure with a good relationship with the boy, he's not an easy target. If there's a home where the father's not there, there's a boy who's starving for some male attention. And there's probably a mother who's starving for a man to be a father figure in their children's lives. And that's exactly who they target. And it's on purpose. It's not accidental. When I had shared with him that I was concerned about a surgery coming up, he asked what it was and I told him about it. And, you know, coincidentally, his son went through the same exact thing. And so he um, asked, he got me to drop my pants and he just looked, he didn't touch anything, but he just looked to review. Oh, looks fine to me. So I don't think you have anything to worry about. You notice there's just this little progression. Yeah, come over anytime, have fun, free access, have hot chocolate whenever you want, here's some movies. Shortly after that, he let there be adult movies sitting on top of the thing in case we wanted to watch it, stuff like that, you know. So there was this grooming process, the event of where it actually crossed the line. I mean, those are all line crossings, but he invited me to spend the night. I asked my mom. My mom said, sure. And that was the night where everything happened. You know, I don't want to go into detail. That's probably horrific to some people just hearing those things. There was a grooming process. There was a progression. He was trying to build trust, trying to build, not just with me, but my family. More than likely, he lied about his son having gone through that procedure just as the reason to get me to cross that line of being naked in front of him and feeling safe. That, that's how um, it happened to me. Shortly after that, we moved back to California. Um, there was a high school math teacher at our junior high school who um, some people liked, thought he was really cool because he would spend his lunchtime out playing with the kids in the field, kicking soccer balls and around and playing soccer with the kids. And, you know, sometimes you shuffle around different friend groups at lunch. And so I shuffled around to this guy, to a group of friends that hung out with them. And the guy just gave me the creeps. Um, he just, you know, when you've gone through something like that, you tend to have a radar and you can tell someone like that a mile away. And this guy just made me uncomfortable um, because while he's playing with the kids and, you know, kicking soccer goals, he's asking questions and finding out things. And it, sure enough, when I was a sophomore in high school, yeah, he was a, he was arrested for the same exact thing. And I share this with you because, you know, I don't want to make parents paranoid, but you want to have your eyes and ears open. I have a dear friend um, that I knew who years later had a, had a preteen daughter. And um, her daughter asked her mom if she could spend the night at a friend's house. And the mom had kind of just that sense that, ooh, this, I don't know if I should, but she didn't want to be the mom that her daughter hated because she always told her no. So she ignored that warning in her heart and let her daughter spend the night. And that night, the friend's dad molested her daughter. And she's kicked herself ever since from that. And um, what that leads to in a child's life is just horrible. So, um, you know, they will target families they, that have vulnerabilities. They'll look for kids. They'll ask them questions to try to find out things. They'll try to build trust. And it doesn't mean that anybody that takes an interest in your kid is a terrible person. But, you know, you've got to guard your kids and make sure that you don't expose them to something like that. Um, and if you ever have that warning in your spirit or your heart that something's not right here, you know, it'd be better to err on the side of caution there um, because it would be terrible if you didn't and something like that happened. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of my story. That's what happened to me.
Do you have any questions about that before I move on to the, the recovery process? What is the danger? What's the harm? Once you, I, I coach a lot of uh, people who, and, and myself, you know, just, just neglect from an alcoholic father. There's harmful effects that we do not know. What more for someone like you who went through such horrific, you know, they took away your innocence. They took, they took away your power. So talk about that. Oh yeah, I want, and I wanted to add one thing I forgot. Um, that teacher, that math teacher, that junior high math teacher, one day on a Saturday, I was out playing with my friends and I came home and he was at my house and he was talking to my mom and he was offering to take me with him on a road trip um, to San Francisco during the summer. And I remember my mom was looked at me like she, you could tell she didn't want to say yes, but she didn't, she like, do you want to? And I'm like, no, no, no. So I'm saying like, there was something about me that made me a mark. And that's one of the first things that happen. That experience happens to you. It robs you of your innocence. And then if something like that happens again, even if you don't go along with it, you start to think, well, what's wrong with me? Like, out of all the school, why did that teacher end up in my house asking my mom if he could take me to San Francisco for the weekend? Um, there must be something wrong with me. And that's something that sometimes people will do. They'll internalize it. Another thing that can happen is, is you can um, internalize it and make that part of your identity. You know, one of the defense mechanisms against that is to say, well, I guess I'm just that way. And I know it's a hot button topic issue right now. And I'm not trying to say anything negative about the whole LGBTQ community. Um, you do you, you do me. I'm totally fine with that. But I do know that there are some people that went down that road because of abuse that happened to them and they internalized it and made it part of their identity. Well, I guess I just like men or I guess I just like women. And I just think if when that's the case, that's tragic that someone who used you for their own perversion and pleasure, that having determine the course of your life, key decisions that you make about yourself that become part of your identity, or just going under the shame and feeling like, oh, you know, something's wrong with me because they're all coming after me. Um, those are all things that can happen from it. And I, again, I have nothing against gays or lesbians. I am against abuse steering the course of a person's life because that lets the perpetrator of the abuse win over the course of your entire lifetime. That's what I'm talking about. Abuse shouldn't be allowed to be the thing that determines who we are because you truly were a victim of abuse. Another thing that I struggled with when I went through this was, you know, as these things started coming out in the public, you know, the McMartin preschool case and trials coming up and things getting notoriety in, in, in the press and the news and whatnot, you invariably heard well, they must have been abused themselves. People that abuse were abused themselves. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that was abused abuses. We have to be careful that conversation. I understand lawyers are trying to get their clients off. Victims of abuse hear that. And it's not very hard for even me as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy to think like, oh, if people 
that abused were abusers. Since I was abused, does that mean I might become an abuser? And if people knew that, would they not want to trust me or let their kids be around me? Because if they knew that, then I'm a potential abuser because I was abused. And so you will back off and not even put yourself in situations because of what was done to you. Not what you've done, but what someone did to you is now putting you under a blanket of shame. And, and I went through that. I, I, I would, there were certain things that I wanted to become part of, but I wouldn't even go there because right. if it came out, what happened to me, people might distrust me because mm -hmm. if he was abused, he might become an abuser himself. So mm -hmm. keep him away from my kid. Um, and and, and this is why it's important that we're talking about it. It's yeah. because now the awareness that there's a choice. If God gave me a choice to say, hey, if you want to go redo your life without that happening, I'll do it. Would you take me up on it? And the answer is heck no. That's when you get an ultimate victory after something. And that ultimate victory is this. Yeah, it sucked. Yeah, there are times when you wake up in the middle of the night having nightmares about what happened. It haunts you. It haunts your steps. Sometimes we bury it and then something will bring it out. And it's like we're trying to keep this bad memory away and it's something that jumps out and grabs it. But when, when you reach the place where it's like, you know what? Because that happened to me and because I had to go through the work of recovery and because I had to get to a place where I'm um, not just a victim, but I'm a victor over what happened to me. And then you start to realize, you know what? I have strengths and characteristics and skills and instinct because of what I went through and because I had to go through the process that I would not give up those skills and instincts and characteristics for, for anything. I'm glad that they're a part of me. No, I don't want anybody to go through what I went through. But if you've gone through those things, please, that's the light at the end of the tunnel. If you, get, if you go through the work and get free, you will get victory over it. Once you get victory over it, it can never haunt you again. For those of that went through abuse, I want to strongly encourage you, go through the process, go through the work, and don't give up. You don't just have to be a victim of this for your entire life. You don't just have to be ashamed your entire life. You don't just have to hide it your entire life. When I was in high school, our family got a call from a lawyer. The guy that molested me had been arrested. And they did research, and they found out that I was one of the kids that spent time at his house. So the lawyer called my mom, talked to my mom, and asked me if, if he did anything to me and if I'd be willing to testify if, if so. So here I am. My mom doesn't know about this. I don't want her to know about this. I'm a 12 or 13-year-old thinking if I say, yeah, he did something to me, I might end up on a witness stand in some court case. No, no. I was like, no, no, nothing happened. He was fine. He was fine. Never did anything to me. I lied through my teeth because just all those thoughts went through my head in a moment. Um, you know, that's letting that control your life. And, and in my case, it wasn't as bad as some that I know that, you know, it's your family members that did it to you. It could have been siblings. It could have been parents. It could have been an uncle. It, when that's the case, you know, who do you tell? Who do you talk to? Do you want to rat out a family member? And then that might tear apart the family. If it was one of your parents, you know, it might tear apart their marriage. 
you know, so there's these, all these survival instincts that you go through and you think, well, gosh, you know, that could cause a lot. And sometimes we don't even think about it just at a subconscious level. So, and, and even before I went through the, like the counseling and the therapy and coaching around it to get through some of this, this leftovers, you know, I still had an, had a capacity and a capability to help people that were going through that before I even got any healing myself. There was a, a friend in college who was date raped um, by an athlete. You know, in our circle of friends, you know, our freshman year that went through this, you know, most people didn't know what to do. Most people didn't know what to say. Some people even got kind of confrontational, like, well, did you flirt with them? Did you give them any signals? Is that any, did you do anything that caused it, you know? And I just knew instinctively during all those conversations, I knew when I told the person, shut the hell up and leave out, get out of the room. What you're saying right now is wrong. Leave. You don't understand. I knew when she just needed a shoulder to cry on. I knew when she needed pushing and when she didn't, you know, and I just, I only knew how to do that because I went through it myself. There's lots of stories in my life like that, where even before I had any kind of intervention training or coach training or degree in psychology and learning how to help people. I was able to help people just because I had the instinct, because I knew what it was like. And mm -hmm. I'd gone through it myself. And that's one of the things I was talking about. Like, I wouldn't train that for nothing. Right. Um, that deep empathy, my, the deep compassion. Yeah, my ability to have compassion and sympathy and empathy mm -hmm. and know what it's like and to be able to offer what the person needs when they need it. That's a skill set I love. and. Once you've conquered it, then you realize, hey, I got through that. I mean, that's one of the most terrible things a child can get to go through. I overcame that. I conquered that. Strong people do that. Right. I'm a strong person because I was able to do that. So that's another reason it's important for victims to, to do the work they need to do to get through it and to get healing. You have a greater strength than you realize. Yeah, it could be a devastating thing that crushes you and you never recover. It is something that you could just be a victim for the rest of your life. Yeah, you could play the victim card. And I've done that. I've had friendships where I, um, there's this friend, I just jokingly said poker face. I'm like, I don't like you that much. And they're like, what? Why? And like, they believed it. And there was just part of me that couldn't help resist just seeing how far I could go with this. Well, what do you like about me? Well, there's this and that. And like, well, I thought we were good, you know? And then, but then I kind of painted myself into a corner where I just lied to her straight face and told her I didn't like her. And I, here's the reasons why, and none of it was true. Who does that? You know, why would you do that to a friend and a person you cared about? And so when I realized I was painted in this corner, I played my victim card. Oh. I said, you know, I'm so sorry I did that to you. It's it's not your fault. I'm just a screwed up person. I was molested when I was a kid and sometimes I just do stupid things. And it was my 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 get out of jail free card. So there's a lot of awareness in that. You're aware that you were using your victim card. At what point did you say, I'm no longer a victim? At what point did you seek healing or integration in coaching terminology? First of all, you have to become aware that you're doing it. Um, and, and it sounded to me that you were aware of it. 
Well, I, 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 at that moment, I wasn't aware of it. That's what I did. And years later, when I looked back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I totally played the victim card. That was my, I, I played a, I used it like a get out of jail free card for being, I mean, I don't know what it would be. I mean, that's like narcissistic abuse, kind of, you know, huh. tell a friend that you don't like them and they believe it. So you go along with it for a while just to see them like suffer a little bit. Like that's, right. that's not good. One of the things of healing is you realize that having gone through that event, it impacts you and it, and you become an abuser at some levels as well. You know, yes, some people that were molested become molesters, but even if you don't become a molester, do you become an abuser in other ways? And unfortunately, the answer is yes, uh, in some ways. Um, and that's part of the work too, is overcoming. And, and, and again, this is like peeling an onion, you know, you peel a layer away and you're like, yes, I got to it. And then you realize, oh, there's another layer. And sometimes you just got to keep peeling away at that onion. Something that happened in my life, and I know this has happened to a lot of guys I know were molested. Some just adopted as part of their identity and they say, I guess I'm gay. And they just go down that path. What some others do is they, they compensate for it with sexual, heterosexual relationships with their girlfriends. Some of them become the guys, the serial hitman that like, you know, just trying to conquest as many women as they can. Um, that wasn't me. Um, I was, I wanted a long-term relationship. I, they got physical very quickly. And looking back hindsight, you know, I chose girls that I knew instinctively I could get physical with quick, very quickly. And it was a way for me to normalize. See, I'm normal. I'm in a relationship with a girl. We're fooling around. Everything's fine. And then awareness comes in later where you realize, okay, this guy that molested me, he, had, he, was, a pervert. he was a pervert. He liked little boys. He manipulated them, groomed them, and used them up, chewed them up, and spit them out just for his own sexual gratification. Regardless of what happens to him, his victims, doesn't matter. He's going full bore. That's what he does. That's that's what he does. How is that much different than what I did with my girlfriends, where I got them to fool around very quickly, and it, it was in a longer, long-term relationship, if if it survived that long, but I was using them not just for sexual gratification, but also the emotional gratification of proving to myself that I'm normal and I'm fine. Wow. Um, how's that any different from what he did to me? What an awareness. And, you know, you look back at those relationships and you realize, okay, here I was taking everything I wanted and giving the bare minimum to keep it going. Right. So instead of showing up as a man, and giving all of my strength and all of my heart and all of my soul to this person, I was giving just enough to keep him around so I could get what I wanted. That's another layer of awareness you have to get to, but I'm sharing this up front so that people that have to go through that work, you know, I realized that on my own and it took decades to realize all that. Decades. Uh, yeah. I was going to ask you how the process. Right. Wow. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you. Acknowledge you for that level of vulnerability and honesty. Second of all, oh my God, you're the, the you're the guy that my mother warned me about. <laughs> I'm kidding, <laughs> but but that great insight. <laughs> True, in <yourself>. I was. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'm kidding. No, I'm totally kidding. Thank you, thank you for 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 lighting that up because then now we can look at the other side. Why are this narcissistic behavior around? Why why does it even exist? And also, you know, the women or men who have been, you know, abused and have fallen into the trap of narcissism and and playing the victim role playing the victim card so this this is i'm, I'm going to leave the audience to to come into their own conclusion but you're giving a lot of um breadcrumbs to yeah. find the truth within themselves breadcrumbs to understand the behavior and we are not our behavior and we are not our past and I, what i love about what you're saying is there is a light uh you know at the end of the tunnel and I have a client uh, right now who was abused by her own father. And it is excruciating to detach from that shield of shame. It, it's really excruciating. She, it, it took her years and years and years in therapy and energy work. And, and finally now uh, with the strategic intervention that we are both trained in, she can actually master her choice, her behavior, knowing, taking full responsibility of her life once again, and and yeah. and step by step, little by little, um, having that power to design her life the way she wants it, not how she thought it was because of the victim mentality. So victim versus victor is what you're talking about, and I love that. So. Returning the soul power to the people. What one step or a couple of steps you can share with those who are interested? If, if you went through that abuse yourself, uh, you've just got to get brutally honest with yourself. And, and, and it takes awareness. Um, it doesn't have to take decades. It can take years. It can take months. It can take a moment. There's, there, there's no preset time frame on it. Um, but there is a willingness to do the work. Um, you know, if you're playing the victim card, if you're benefiting from that, like there was no way I would, my psychology, me personally would allow myself to get better if I'm using the victim card to get out of jail. You're not going to want to get free because why would you? This is working, right? This I'm benefiting from. So one, you just have to be brutally honest with yourself, you know, um, you know, and along the victim card, right? You can get a lot of sympathy when you share your story. If your sharing of your story is a way for you to easily get people to show you sympathy and empathy, give you a pass on things, um, create a quick and intimate, a quick sensation of an intimate relationship with someone because you've shared some deep thing, but it's just because you jumped off the, the high dive right away and you know, most people aren't going to go like, oh, you know, most people are going to be sympathetic and understanding. So you just have to be brutally honest with yourself of, OK, and what am I using of this in my life to meet my needs? You have to reach a point where you're willing to say, like, OK, even though I'm using this for 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 um, to meet my needs or to you know help me out in some way, you have to be willing to let go of that so that you can seize on to something greater because you won't let go of things that meet your needs at crappy levels if that's the only way you can meet your needs before you can jump to a way that meets them better 
And for people that are in a relationship with someone who was abused, you know, there are people might watch this who maybe their their spouse or significant other went through something like that. And you might say, oh, my gosh, that's what's wrong in my relationship. I feel like that person's taking, taking, taking and giving very little. It's a conversation you can have. Um, it's awareness you can maybe bring to them and help them see. Um, do you have to end a relationship over it? It might be the right thing to do. It might be the right thing to work through it. and and get to the other side because relationships can get to the other side of that as well, not just individuals. You know, traditional model is therapy and therapy can take years. Um, I went through a therapeutic process that took about nine months. For me, it brought me to the place of realizing how this impacted my life. The counseling itself didn't give me the power to turn the switch and do something about it. It was like it brought me to a point of awareness, but it didn't tell me how to make change. Back when I was in college, and this was back when I was going to a church, um, and we were doing a ministry night. We were praying over people and, you know, asking God to guide us and help the people with whatever they had issues with. Well, this one gal shared that she was molested by her father as long as she could remember. That was her normal. She didn't remember that ever not happening. And then when she turned eight, he started doing it to her younger brother who had turned five. And so here's a woman in her 20s who was carrying all the shame and all the guilt, not just of what she went through, but that she didn't save him, her brother. Like she failed her brother because she didn't protect him from him. And as soon as she shared that, and this was very atypical of me for the time, I took over that time with her. You know, there was a group of us that were ministering and I just, I knew exactly, it was just, it was inspiration. I knew exactly what to do. I walked her through this process. It's like we took her back into the room and had her as adult do what she couldn't have done as a child. These were things that I'd never seen before. Um, it was a one stop intervention that set her free. And the last time I saw her, which was years later, she was still free. So she came willing to share and show and say, this happened to me. And it got taken care of in one thing. A skilled interventionist can do that. You might need counseling. You might need a coach. You might need an interventionist that knows how to do these things in one fell swoop. Um, I would try everything. That was way before I ever knew who Tony Robbins was. And when I went to my first UPW and I saw him doing these interventions left and right, I became fascinated by them. I started looking every, I found every YouTube video that was of Tony doing an intervention. And that's what led me to the Robbins Madonna's training where we met. When that had happened that night many years ago when I was in my you know, mid-20s, I walked away from that feeling like, I'm so glad I got to be a part of that. I'm so glad that I was able to be used in that woman's life to bring about that change. Um, a friend of mine who was there, who, was, who ended up becoming a pastor, he said it was like watching art. When I saw Tony doing this, I realized that's a skill that can be learned. There's strategies like I was doing them instinctively and being led. And so I would encourage people if they have some work to do, find someone who's skilled in that because it doesn't necessarily have to take years and years of counseling. Um, it might need it. It might not. So I would exhaust all the possibilities on that. Um, as far as empowering us as, as, as a people, 
you know, we need to keep this sort of thing in our awareness and keep it part of the public conversation. You know, I'm, I've been very active politically lately on social media because of the election, but I'm not usually that um, engrossed in it. So back when the whole Pizzagate <laughs> thing happened, I, I kind of looked at it and I didn't, you know, I didn't take sides. I didn't go too far into it. But I remember my take was like, okay, if that's true, then it needs to be addressed. And either it wasn't true and it was just a pre-election political hack trying to make a side look bad, or it really happened and some very powerful people did not want it to come to light, so it got buried. Mm -hmm. Um, This whole Jeffrey Epstein stuff came out. Um, He somewhat conveniently to the people he could have exposed committed suicide in jail and now his assistant we've got you know um these things need to come to light um and we can't allow people in positions of power who don't want it to come to light to keep it hidden because then it'll just perpetuate and it'll keep happening i don't know if pizzagate was real or not i don't know who all was involved in Epstein. And that would just be one little sliver of where this is happening all over the world. Um, But when it implicates people of power, they're gonna use their power to try to bury it because they don't wanna get exposed. Um, It needs to be exposed for the sake of the children who've gone through it. And so this doesn't be allowed to continue to happen. And if we let that happen, if we don't speak up, if we don't stand our ground, if we don't have courage and fortitude to say this needs to stop, we need to look into it and heads need to roll. It doesn't matter if it affects people on my side of the political party or the other side. The Mm -hmm. truth needs to come out and consequences need to happen so that people will think twice before doing it in the future. Right. You know, when when Epstein's assistant came out, I remember seeing it go around social media, this list. from all these people from the flight logs. And it was very interesting because you're scrolling through this list and it's like, Democrat, 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 Democrat. And then it was Republican, 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 Republican. This is not a one-sided thing. And I know what happens in our psyche. If you're a Democrat and you see a list like that and you start to scroll down at something with Democrats, you don't don't look at the rest of the list probably. No, I I, don't know. No way my side did that. And then Republicans that looked at that list would probably go like, yeah, look at all these Democrats. <laughs> and then they get to the bottom part where now it's the list of all the Republicans. They're like, oh, well, so I think we have to be very careful that, that we don't allow our political loyalties to hinder us from pursuing mm-hmm. stuff like this just because it might incriminate people with whom we have affinity politically or that might hurt our party or its chances. Um, we have to transcend that and do what's right for the world, for humanity, and for children. Yeah, because can you imagine? Is it 800,000 children in U.S. alone victimized by child sex trafficking? I think that's uh, that that's what I'm retaining right now is like, and I was so shocked. Why are we not looking into this? Because can you imagine a world where innocence and joy and power 
is taken from a young child and multiply that. And that's our future. Where, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine um, if that is going to be the foundation of the next generation and the next generation. And it, it's, a, it's a devolution of human consciousness to nothingness. And that's just not right. That's just not right from a soul-powered consciousness. That is, that's not right. That is a crime against humanity. And I hope people have at least gained some inspiration, some empowerment, some hmm, curiosity um, into what Eric shared. He shared quite a bit. So many breadcrumbs that you can follow through. So many breadcrumbs that maybe you can relate to that even though it didn't happen to you, you are observing it in the world. Why, are, why is there narcissism? Why are there victims? Why are victims unwilling to leave their narcissistic partners and, and rather get beat up to death? You know, these are the things. Why are people not standing in their own power? Because we, like you said from the beginning, we are born with DNA, which is pure and wonderful and magnificent. And why are we not stepping into that? Final words from you, Eric. This stuff happens, and it happens all too often. And it's up to each of us to stand up and make sure we do our part to make sure it stops from happening. Um, we have to let things be exposed. We have we can't be complicit with cover-ups because if it's real and you were uncomfortable with it or it hurt your political affiliation, you didn't want to look at it. You're complicit with the cover-up. Yeah. So we all need to do our part to uh, stand up, get involved, talk to your local law enforcement. If you can be a part of the solution, and or at least, and even if all you do is have the conversations to bring awareness to it, that's a good thing. Um, if you're a parent, be vigilant. And if you're just a person that cares about humanity, be vigilant and do what you can to, to bring awareness to this and keep the awareness up and keep the heat up and keep the light on so that the darkness can be exposed. Awesome. Thank you. Beautiful words. Thanks, everyone. Eric, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Vergara. We can no longer be the spectators of our own destruction. Take back your mind. Take back your voice. Take back your soul. Take back your power. Join me again next time for the next episode of Soul Power to the People.